pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today we're talking about sin, um, just kind of an overview of where we are in Scripture. So we started creation, Genesis 1. We went into Ephesians for a little bit uh, last week. We're going to do like Genesis 2 through 11 today. So um, sometimes people want to talk about the Bible in four chapters, right? Not like chapters of the Bible, but like four big sections. You have creation, which was last week. Then you have fall or sin, um, and then you have recreation or redemption, and then you have consummation, right? The, the final things. So you would have creation, which is like Genesis 1 and 2, fall or sin, which basically is Genesis 3 all the way through, you know, when Jesus raises from the dead. And then you would have redemption, Christianity, which would be like Jesus' resurrection through Jesus' return, and then consummation, the end of all things. Uh, so this week, when we talk about the fall, we're kind of dealing with the, the introduction of the longest section of Scripture. Um, so tonight we're just looking at the fall of man, the entrance of sin into the world, and then the immediate effects of it. Um, but in weeks to come, I mean, goodness gracious, we are going to see the effects of sin play out. Um, I mean, in two weeks when we deal with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you're like, oh yeah, they're good guys. They're not good guys. They're really bad, sinful guys who trust in God. Um, so, so what we're going to talk about tonight, just so you see where we're going, we'll go fast through these. Um, just sin is rebellion, the presence of guilt and shame, the banishment from God's presence. Um, then we'll look at the, the theological term, total depravity. And we'll see some of the effects about brotherly strife, um, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. So go ahead and open to Genesis 3. That's where we're going to start. Um, and I think we'll see things in Genesis 3 that then spread out and grow in their influence through the next, you know, eight chapters. So Genesis 3, page 4 in your Bible or something like that. So we're probably familiar with the story of, you know, Adam and Eve, the serpent, the fruit, the tree, all of that. Let's just, uh, let's just read this real quick and re-familiarize ourselves with it. Somebody want to read Genesis 3, 1 through 6 for us? Yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord... God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. All right. So what's so wrong about eating fruit? Yeah. There's nothing about there's nothing wrong about eating fruits. Just Alice's of the tree that were. Okay. Yeah. Right. 
There's nothing wrong with fruit. Like apple a day keeps the doctor. There's nothing in the Bible that says it's an apple. We just assume it's an apple. It's probably closer to a pomegranate. That's not important. Like, um, but it's not like, oh man, fruit's the devil. Don't eat fruit. That's not the point of Genesis 3. Um, the fruit is a symbol of something greater, right? Like you said, the, the issue is deeper than the fruit. It's the heart that be, that's behind the eating. So, so we mentioned last week that God created us as creatures to depend upon God to define good and evil for us. Um, <clears throat> and and the, the, the test of the tree is asking, okay, will you trust God and obey him no matter what? Or do you want to rebel against God and say you're in charge instead? Are you going to be arrogant and prideful or will you trust God? Um, I mean, we, we don't like trusting people. That's just human nature. Um, whenever we do lock-ins, like we never, we haven't done a lock-in for like three years. Maybe like, Alice, Jeremy, have you done an all-nighter? Like when you first started? Um, like we don't print schedules and all night, it's like, what's next? What's next? What time's dinner? What time's breakfast? What time do I have to go? To I'm like, just trust me. We'll tell you what you need to do. And it's always, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Like we don't trust authority. Um, or, you know, let's say Tim and I go out to lunch, right? And we're, we're sitting down. I'm like, oh man, I left my wallet at the office. And Tim's like, oh, don't worry about it. Okay, what do you mean don't worry about it, right? Because you could mean a couple different things right now, and I'm super uncomfortable at this point. Are you saying, don't worry about it, I will pay for your lunch? Or are you saying, don't worry about it, I'll spot you 10 bucks? Because if Tim's paying, I'm getting steak. If I'm paying, I'm getting chicken nuggets, right? There's a difference here. Does he say, don't worry? Because if you're worried all of lunch, like, it's not going to be a pleasant conversation. This is going to not be a good lunch. But, like, eat and then, I don't know, do dishes, work it off. I'm not helping you. Just don't worry because it will ruin it. Like, we don't want to trust people. And so the sin is, it's deeper than just the fruit, right? It's not so much, you know, can you not eat the fruit? But it's, did God actually say, does God get to make the rules for us? Or are we going to say, you know what, the way God made me as creature, that's not good enough. I want to be in charge of my own life. I want to know good and evil. I'm not going to be in the place of creature. I want to de-godify God and put myself up as the one who determines what's right and what's wrong. And so, like, sometimes we see the fruit, right? And we're like, you know what? Seems like a little bit of overkill. Like, breaking the entire universe because Eve got hungry and ate the, the fruit. Um, but that's, that's not at all what we're dealing with. It's like, um, so, there's some things when Ella misbehaves. Like, she gets consequences. Timeout, spankings, not getting a toy, whatever the consequence might be. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. So, like, if she hits her baby brother, you're like, oh, yeah, she should get a consequence. Or if she, like... She loves to grab the cat's tail for some reason. And we're like, don't ever grab the cat, period. But you're like, that's probably deserving of something. Uh, but then there's other times where like, she'll go like this. And you're like, that's not really worthy of a consequence. Unless I say, Ella, come and talk to me. Sit on my lap and look me in the eye so I can talk to you. And she goes, 
<laughs> Actually, I should not do that. I'm like, you okay? Yeah. I have allergies really bad, and I found a bunch of allergy medicine, and the Zyrtec and that did not work itself out very well. Yeah. Um, you know, the action itself isn't a big deal, but the heart behind it is a heart of, I don't want to trust you. I don't want to obey you. And so, like, yeah, that actually is a bigger deal than we think by just actions. The same as, same with, uh, with sin, right? It's rebellion against God and not just simple acts. Um, and so when we rebel against God, it leads into this state of guilt and shame, right? We, we, we know, we know the story, right? I don't need to read all of it, really. You guys familiar with Genesis 3? Okay, so, so guilt is the, the feeling of, you know what, what I've done is bad. Shame is, I am bad, right? I'm a bad person, guilt, I've done something wrong. And who hasn't felt guilt and shame? I mean, we feel this all the time. A theme of our lives is, you know what? Even if I haven't done bad, I feel bad about what I am, who I am. And so people, they try to hide from their, their shame. Adam and Eve, they made the, um, the fig leaves and made themselves loincloths, you know, some clothes. I don't know why they just didn't make a full outfit, but whatever. Like, it doesn't seem like it'd be that much more work. Um, and then they hid from God because they didn't want him to see because they knew, right? I was naked, I hid. Um, there's just this hiding that happens because we don't want to expose who we really are because who we really are isn't all that great. Um, I mean, how do you see that today? Right? You guys understand what I'm saying? That we try and hide who we are so that nobody else sees our, our guilt and our shame? What are some ways people hide? By actually hiding. Okay, so actually hiding. Yeah? Maybe if, like, if I'm at home with my brothers, uh -huh. like, I kind of argue with someone. Okay. Okay. Like I'm not as, as that way. okay, so there's this public way we act versus the way we act at home. We, hey, we don't want people to know we're actually like this. We want to pretend we're something better than we are. How else do people try and hide I guilt and shame? Like technology and screen. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's easier to text people than talk face to face, isn't it? It's, it's way easier of, you know what, let me take 150 selfies and then pick the best one instead of just being like, hey, here's me and I'm super content with the way I am. How else do we try and hide our guilt and our shame? Yeah. Like distance ourselves from other people. Yeah. Let's see. We distance ourselves saying, you know what? Like, I'm not going to let you know me. If you knew me, you would see what's actually in me. And I'm not impressed by that. I don't want people to know me. Any, any other thoughts? I think we redefine things. Uh -huh. Normalize things. So that the thing that was wrong is no longer considered wrong. And we're worthy of guilt and shame. Yeah. I can't be dirty if everybody's like me, right? That kind of opinion. Yeah, I was going to say we, um, 
like we, I don't know, find our thing. Where like if you're good at sports, you make sports your life. If you're good at music or dance or academics or you're the funny guy or whatever, like you make that your entire personality. So you can say like, look how great I am here. Let's just ignore everything else that, that's behind it. Um, Sorry, one more thing. Yeah. We compare ourselves to others. Yeah, we do. To make ourselves feel better. Mm -hmm. I didn't do what right? Yeah. I'm, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Like, Matt Liam, goodness. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, so like this idea of guilt and shame, like the fig leaves, it's, it's, you know, seems a little bit primitive. Like, oh yeah, that's not us. That's Adam and Eve in the garden. Like, we have clothes. I went to Old Navy today. Um, but no, we're in the same boat, right? Sin leads to guilt. It leads to shame. And we try in all these different ways to cover ourselves. Um, and they just don't ever work. It's exhausting to do all of these things, for sure. Um, but it just doesn't work. I mean, 1 John 1.9 says, Jesus can fix guilt and shame. It says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us, guilt, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, shame. But we would rather go and do things ourselves than, than to trust Jesus. And so as a result of, of sin, right, Adam and Eve get banished from the garden. This is at the end of Genesis 3. Therefore the Lord sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden and placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So, so after, you know, chapter or verse 13 and in between that and 23, in those 10 chapters, um, that should say 23, it doesn't, you have God giving curses to the man, to the woman, to the serpent, and this hates me today. <clears throat> And, they, and man and woman were sent out of God's presence. So again, why were Adam and Eve created? Yeah. To, um, to worship and glorify God? Yeah, to be with God, to enjoy his glory, to worship him, to glorify him and image him. Yeah, and they're supposed to be like in this happy family of, of, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Adam, Eve, their children, all in this happy community. But with sin, they're banished away from God and all the blessing that comes with God. Um, before we get here, right, God deals with their fig leaves. He doesn't just say, you guys are idiots. Take off the fig leaves. Like, it's not working. No, he gives them something better. He clothes them with skin, and he covers their sin and their shame. He shows that, you know, by the shedding of an animal's blood, we cover sin. But it's not perfect, right? It's just they're not naked anymore. Their, their sin and their shame's not taken away. But this kind of sets up a trajectory of, okay, if something dies, maybe some sin can be covered. You'll see that in the sacrifices as we move forward. You'll see that in Jesus when we get there. And, and there's lots of attempts to get back to Eden. I guess, you know, one of the storylines of the Bible is how do we get back to Eden? We've been banished out by sin. How can we come home? And when we get to the last couple chapters of Revelation, we'll get home. But it's a long journey to get there. Um, 
So, so from through these first couple chapters of, or first couple, from chapter three of Genesis, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, we get this doctrine of total depravity. Anybody ever heard this word before? Two words? Can you give me a definition, you know, without just staring at the screen? All right. So this is a theological word. Total means every part. Depraved means broken or sinful, right? So when we say everybody is totally depraved, what I'm saying is every part of who we are is affected by sin. I'm not saying we're bad as we could be. I mean, nobody's denying that people do good things. Um, but sin is an issue. It's a virus. It crawls through us and affects every single part of who we are. Um, and this quote here I thought it was helpful. Total depravity means there's no human faculty left untouched by sin, even in relative terms. The mind, the emotions, the appetites is biased against God. We need renewal of the whole person, more of the aesthetic sensibilities. What we find beautiful is corrupted because we, we don't like things that reflect the evidence of the creator in the world and we don't appreciate his glory and beauty. Therefore, the creation is viewed in itself rather than the ravishing and resplendent gift of God. Nobody actually says resplendent. Don't use that word. That's a stupid word. Um, but it <laughs> seems like I use resplendent all the time. I don't even know if you, it's how you pronounce it. Um, but, but the issue is, right, sin affects all of us. The way we think, the way we act, the way we talk, the things we find beautiful and attractive, the things we find repulsive. And we, we're not, you know, as bad as we possibly could be, but everything in us is bad. Um, so somebody said, who said when I asked what we learned about last week? You said we're created in the image of God. So Jeremy, if we're totally depraved, everything about us is broken, are we still in the image of God? Or are we terrible, miserable creatures? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's purposefully tricky, but it's not a trick question. Okay, not the best. I, I will take that. So if the image of God is like a mirror, if we're a mirror meant to reflect God, sin is taking a sledgehammer and smashing in the mirror, and now you have all these shards of glass that reflect a distorted picture of God, but still reflect him nonetheless. Um, we're, we're still valuable as humans, but we're corrupted. Um, even after sin, you see that man's in God's image. We see that in, we'll see it in Genesis 9. You see it in James 3. Um, but everything's broken. And that explains a whole lot about the world. That explains, you know, things that are wrong with you and me. That explains why things don't work. Because not only is man broken, but the world is broken. Sin entered. It broke creation where Adam was supposed to plant, you know, figs and rutabagas, you know, he plants this, I don't know what grows in the Middle East. What grows in the Middle East? Figs and olives, because we don't like rutabagas, apparently. What you know, a rutabaga, it's like a, it's like a, 
It's like a parsnip, right? What? It's like a, it's a root vegetable. It's like a carrot. Yeah. Like, it's like, like halfway between a carrot and a beet is a rutabaga, right? Uh, like a yam? Is that where we're going? Underground cabbage. I feel like if I ever have a punk band, it's going to be called Underground Cabbage. <laughs> What's up, Liam? Oh, I'm sorry, Owen. <laughs> It's a big, bulbous root vegetable. Yeah. It's not very popular because it's dumb. It's kind of like a... <laughs> no one like that is a rutabaga. Rutabaga. There you go. It looks like a giant... There you go. It looks like a potato onion. Parsnips right here. Yeah. All right. This is this is completely besides everything, you know. Um, what do we? Yeah, so he plants his olive seeds, and he gets thorns and thistles. Right, Adam and Eve's job is to fill the earth with people, but it becomes really painful to give birth to a child. There's all of this cursing that happens, and so the world is broken. We're broken relationships are broken. Everything is broken because of sin. And so the way things are, aren't the way things are supposed to be. Nobody's shocked by that, right? I, I feel like when I teach on sin, I don't have to try and prove things. You know this, right? You know that, you know what, I'm not, there's things about myself I want to hide. Nobody needs to prove that to me. Things in this world are broken. Nobody needs to prove that to me. It's, it's good to figure out that there's a reason for this though. And so what are some effects of sin being in the world? Um, let me just give us three examples. I think, you know, Genesis 3 kind of is like, here's what happened. And then Genesis 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, I mean, on through, are kind of like, here's some big, okay, so how does this play out? It's not just like Adam and Eve are sinners, Cain and Abel and Seth are great, and we move on our merry way. Um, but we have some, some, Things that happen. So Genesis 4, right? Uh, Cain and Abel. Are we familiar with them? Yeah. Adam and Eve's first two sons. Um, you know, they bring offerings to God. Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. Kind of turned off. Firstborn of his flock. And the Lord had regard. He accepted it. Cain brought um, uh, fruit of the ground like a rutabaga or an olive. And the Lord did not accept it, so Cain was angry. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So what we see about sin here is sin isn't just like, yeah, things are broken, but it's not a big deal. Like, Dance files didn't work, but we still almost kind of enjoyed the game, but not really because it wasn't that fun. Even though things are broken, it's not a big deal. No, sin is just, it's an active force. It, it's talked about like a lion, right? It's crouching at the door. As soon as you're ready, it's going to pounce and attack and murder you. You must rule over it. It's not just this passive thing. If you ignore it, it goes away. No, sin is an active force. It seeks dominion. But without help, we, we have no power over it. And so, you know, 
Cain gets mad at Abel. He, uh, he kills him in verse 8 here. And then the Lord confronts, Ab- Ab- confronts Cain. Hey, where's your, where's your brother? And so we see like murder and jealousy are working together. Sin doesn't really have an ending point. It's not like, yeah, I got upset and that wasn't great, but like, no. Sin is constantly pushing forward. Sin wants dominion. Sin is always on the offense. It wants you. It's going to lead to things like, not always murder, but if there wasn't consequences, things like murder and hatred and enmity and strife. When there's brothers who are supposed to be for each other and helping each other and loving and supporting one another, it causes division between brothers. And so sin is always going to drive us apart. But in our sinfulness, God still even has mercy, right? So Cain kills Abel. God should kill Cain, right? Anybody like anybody upset if the story goes, Cain and Abel brought offerings. Abel's was accepted. Cain's wasn't. Cain got mad. Cain killed Abel, so God killed Cain. Anybody upset with that story? No, that seems pretty fair. We're like, yeah, Cain should die. Um, But even in his sin, Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. Sin always drives us from God. I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer, and whoever finds me is going to kill me. So the Lord says, No, I'm going to give a mark of Cain. If anybody touches you, I will have vengeance on him. Just a beetle? All right. That's that's Abel the beetle is what we're calling him. Do you want want to grab like a tissue and pick it up? Are we just going to leave it? Okay, good deal. Right. So, (laughs) thank you for the dramatic reenactment of Genesis 4. Super appreciate that. Jeremy is Cain. The beetle is Abel. And instead of Jeremy, you know, you <laughs> being killed for your murder of the beetle, there's a, there's a mark of Cain. God gives mercy to him and says, hey, I'm driving you away from my presence, but, like, I'm not going to let people kill you. There's always mercy in God's judgment. Um, or we can jump over to Genesis 6, right? You guys familiar with Noah? Need an ark? Noah guy. Um, I got sure. Christmas. Really? Nice. Um, it's not just people are evil, but now the entire earth was corrupt in God's sight and it was filled with violence. God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So sin doesn't just be like, you know what? Dan's a sinner. But Dan can still do pretty good things. When Dan, you know, votes for a president, he does a good job. When Dan's at church, he's fine there. When Dan's out, you know, shopping at Kroger and just being whatever a citizen of commerce does, he's a good guy. No, when sin is in people and people make societies, those societies are set up as evil too. So the whole earth was filled with corruption and violence. Corruption spread. As evil people gather, they make evil cities and they promote godlessness, not godliness. 
Um, and there's violence and corruption. And I mean, this is the way that society works today. We still see it. And God says, I'm going to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy the whole earth. But Noah and his family are saved because Noah found favor with God. Noah trusted God. Um, and so there's the flood. Everything dies except some animals. Noah's family, big ark. We know the story. Um, and then, yeah. You've been to the ark encounter. So there we go. You went to Kentucky. And did you go to the Mexican restaurant right next to the Ark Encounter? I had lunch there one time driving through. And did you go to it was average. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. It's fun. Of the Ark, what is it? Let's go. And 51 high, there we go. There's, there's our arc with its dimensions. You can't really see that on the screen, but it's there. Uh, all right, so, so after the flood, what we have in Genesis is kind of this picture of creation all over again, right? In some ways, Genesis pre presents the flood as a fresh start. In Genesis 1, there's creation out of nothing, out of the waters covering the nothingness. Out of that chaos, God creates land. Same thing in Genesis. The flood goes away, there's land. God makes man. He says, hey, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, take dominion over it. Same in Genesis. God blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. You know what? You will have every... Where, you know, the, the dread of you shall be upon the beast of the earth and birds and creeps on the ground and fish. Everything that moves shall be food for you. And I'll give you the green plants. I give you everything. So man's given dominion again. He's told to work the land in 18. Apparently he's not. I, I screwed up that verse. Oh, in 20, right? Work the land, be a man of the soil, plant a vineyard. And then there's a sin that has to come with, you know, fruit again. Noah drank the wine. He became drunk. They sinned with fruit. There's awareness, or there's nakedness and shame that happens. And there's awareness. And after the sin, there's curses happening. In Genesis 9, we kind of have this recreation picture. And we see, you know what? It's not so much the circumstances that cause sin. It's the people. Um, there was a essay contest. I don't, I don't remember the whole thing. But, you know, the, the British Post, whatever the newspaper was, sent, <clears throat> you know, to a bunch of philosophers, professors, people like that, this question, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, a Christian, he writes, Dear sirs, I am. Regards, G.K. Chesterton, and sends it back. That's about, you know, the most correct answer you can get. It's not society that causes us to sin. Because even when there's a fresh start, there's still sin. Even after the flood, Genesis 8.21 says, For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Um, so we have new creation. And because sin's not fixed, 
problems aren't fixed. Um, and then lastly here we have the Tower of Babel. You guys familiar with Babel? Um, so sometimes when sin infiltrates society, it looks like violence, right? Like the pre-Delusian age, which is just saying before the flood, but it's, you should try it. Say pre-Delusian. That's almost as fun as, what's the word? As resplendent. Pre-Delusian is way more fun. <clears throat> so in, in Babel, though, sinful society comes together again. This time it doesn't look like violence. This time it looks like cooperation, right? Um, the people say, let us make a name for ourselves. We don't want, we don't want God to define who we are. We want to define ourselves. We want to make sure that we have a name. Um, I mean, instead, there's arrogance instead of accepting the way that God has, has made us and receiving it. Um, it's this fear of anonymity, right? I don't want to be no one. I don't want to be lost in the crowd. I want, I want to make sure people know me. And is, that, is that still around? Wanting to stand out, having people know you, make sure you're important is, enough is to be remembered. Around? Is that still around? More than <laughs> right? Uh, that, that was a trick question. Like, yeah, absolutely this still happens. And so, what do we got here? Let me, let me mark this up. Um, yeah, come, let's build it. Verse 4, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. Let us make our name for ourselves, lest we dis be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they're building this massive, it's almost like a temple is kind of what the, the, the tower would be. And they're like, we are going to reach heaven. We are going to find our way to God. And then everyone will say, look at me. Look how great, you know, Babel is. We are, we are the people. We will go down in history as the people that reached heaven. And verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man have built. Which is kind of funny because it's like, we're going to build this tower up to heaven. And it's like, and God came down where God's like, hang on. What are you doing down there? Like, it's this picture of God crouching down and squinting to try and be like, is that a, is that a tower? I mean, obviously, God can see everything. It's, it's personification. It's, it's a literary thing. Um, but God says, you know what? If man keeps this up, if man's pride is unchecked, there's going to be, you know, just rampant sin everywhere. They are going to destroy themselves. Nothing will be impossible for them. So God goes down and he confuses their language so that they can't work together in their sinfulness. Now you have a bunch of smaller groups out there, of, you know, chopping down their pride. Um, it's to protect, I mean, God's justice. It is like, hey, you did wrong. You're going to be penalized for this. But it's also, you know what? You're doing wrong. Let me help you do right in these things. Um, so we see languages are completely scattered. I, I'm calling this series, what am I, Signpost to Christ. Because all of these things, I'm like, man, I want to talk about Jesus now. I want to talk about Jesus now. So like, we get to, to the Tower of Babel, and when Pastor Jeff was preaching in Acts like a month ago, 
all the nations come back together at Pentecost, the Spirit comes and the apostles start preaching in languages they don't know. When Jesus comes, he undoes the scattering at Babel and he brings all the people back together, not to pursue righteousness, but to pursue the name of Christ. Um, but we're doing signposts. We're not, you know, just talking about Jesus. We're like, here's some hints and some pointers. We'll, we'll get to Jesus later, but anything. I can't not. Consider the world we live in right now. Consider the problems that we're having. You guys seeing things line up? What God's word is saying and the things that have happened in the past, do you see that the very problems that existed then are the very problems that exist now? Even consider this, right? Um, um, their, their language was confused and they were scattered across the earth. Right? And consider the the problems and the issues and the lack of cooperation, people can't get along between nations and problems, and even within our own nation, where we have all people all gathered together, do you see harmony? Do you see the way that things are were supposed to be? Nope. We see exactly the consequence of the curse mm -hmm. and troubles of sin present in our age. Just consider the racial tensions that we're having right now, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, look, look at what this is. There's the origin right, right there. Yeah. All right. So I don't want to go too long here. Um, what, what kind of questions do you have for me? And then we'll kind of flesh this out in, in small groups. We'll divide up. Ladies, you can go. Or you can stay. How about you guys stay with them? Is that better? Or do you want to? And we'll go, we'll go next door. Um, but you got any questions? Like, we did brief overview. I just want to be like, hey, here's a couple things to maybe connect a few dots for you. But maybe we have questions about, I mean, dinosaurs wouldn't be this week. Um, maybe we have questions about dinosaurs. Maybe we have questions about, you know, the flood or babble that I can help answer. And then I don't have questions printed. Um, but I think, like I said, like, I don't have to prove this stuff to you. You guys... You guys know guilt and shame. You guys know, you know, hiding. You know, I, I don't want to die anonymous. I want to be insta-famous is a thing now for some reason. Like, so any, any questions before we split up? Any of that? So it's interesting. Let me just give us a teaser. And, uh. In Genesis 9, they want to make a name for themselves. I'm sorry, Genesis 11. I can't do numbers. Where is it? Let us make a name for ourselves. In Genesis 12, with Abraham, on 12.4, God says, I'm going to make a name for you. So you get this contrast. Of what happens if you try and make a name for yourself? You get shut down by God. But if God makes a name for you, anybody ever hear of Father Abraham had many sons? Many sons said, Father Abraham, when God makes a name for you, good things happen when we submit to, to God. Right arm, left arm, left leg, and, and we go. Um, so, so that's what we'll go in two weeks is, okay, so after the flood, after Babel, what do we do with guys like Abraham, Isaac? There's only one seeing Isaac. Jacob. And his sons. Right. 
And then you get like Isaiah, highest A-I-A-A. Like, what is that? Um, um, so we'll, we'll deal with, you know, the patriarchs and how do we read, how do we understand these early guys in the Bible story after that? So, um, yeah, I guess we'll split up.